It's here. It's Super Bowl weekend. And guess who the two biggest stars of the biggest weekend in sports are? Think about it. The two biggest stars in the biggest weekend in television and American culture, Taylor Swift and Caitlin Clark. Taylor Swift and Caitlin Clark are the two biggest stars on Super Bowl weekend. Bigger than Patrick Mahomes, bigger than Travis Kelsey, bigger than Christian McCaffrey, bigger than any and everybody, two women. Taylor Swift, a Chiefs fan, Caitlin Clark, the greatest sensation going on in basketball. I'll explain shortly. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I'm Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. Fantastic show. Steve Kim, Robbie Starbuck, Landon Starbuck, Robbie's wife, uh, and Tommy Tuberville, the senator from Alabama, will all join us. Steve Kim's just around the corner. Uh, but before I get to Steve Kim, I want to talk to you guys about Preborn. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. When Antoinette found out she was pregnant, she was in a bad place. She didn't know how she could raise her child on her own. She searched for an abortion clinic and God led her to a preborn clinic where she met her baby on ultrasound. When she saw her baby and heard the heartbeat, she broke down crying and the nurse reminded her that babies are blessings from God. She chose life. Her daughter's name is Treasure because she is a gift from God. There are countless stories like that all related to preborn. Preborn saves babies' lives. Those of us in the Fearless Army, we support preborn because preborn supports our worldview that life begins at conception and then our responsibility to that life enhances even more, but, not, well, I can't even say even more, but it enhances when that baby's outside the womb and that's where preborn really steps in and steps up and provides diapers and baby food and whatever that baby needs to get through the first two years of life. Guys, this is a passion for those of us in the Fearless Army. It's central to our entire view of the world. There's two ways to give to preborn. You can pound 250 on your cell phone, say the keyword baby, that's pound 250, say the keyword baby, or you can give the way that I prefer to give, preborn.com slash fearless, that's preborn.com slash fearless. When you do, send me an email, let me know, it brightens my day, warms my heart, inspires me to do great shows like the one we did yesterday and the one uh, we're about to do right now today. Uh, Steve Kim's going to help me talk about Taylor Swift. <laughs> and Caitlin Clark being the two biggest stars of Super Bowl weekend. Am I exaggerating? Am I making too much of these two young ladies? Robbie Starbuck and his wife uh, have put out a docu documentary, The War on Children. It's a fascinating documentary about uh, human sex trafficking of young kids, uh, the sexual mutilation of young kids. It's a great documentary. It's gonna be a fascinating conversation. And Tommy Tuberville is gonna join us at the end of the show. He's been trying to pass laws to protect women in sports. Tommy, of course, is a former college football coach, has some thoughts on Nick Saban retiring, the impact of name, image, and likeness on college football. Uh, but before I go any further, I wanna bring uh, Steve Kim 
into the conversation about Taylor Swift and Caitlin Clark and Super Bowl weekend. Uh, Steve, first thing I got to say is I know you're in Las Vegas for a fight. I think you found your best location to do the show for Las Vegas. Really? I I like this. You're not in some dark room. Uh, I can see you clear as day. Where are you at? Well, I'm at the Mandalay Bay where the flying fishes play, and we got this great, great sunlight. And what a view of the airport. Boy, the way those jets just take off. Man, I want to thank the Wright brothers. <laughs> you guys really made our – I mean, we, I'd be in a horse and buggy right now, halfway to, like, Barstow if it wasn't for those guys. But uh, I've been here Super Bowl week, and it's uh, – Jason, it's interesting you say that, your hypothesis, because walking around Las Vegas, uh, and I got here Tuesday night – it's been a while. I don't actually really feel a Super Bowl buzz, and I'm in the city where the game's taking place. I, I find this whole atmosphere to be kind of interesting. Huh. That That is fascinating. Have you attended any Super Bowls uh, as a media member before? No, and it's really not on my bucket list because the way they heard you in, it's like being a pebble in the sand. Now, the Mandalay Bay, I don't know if you know this, Jason, is actually where the radio press row is because I see a lot of the uh, the media members. I actually, uh, by the way, I met Marcellus Wiley yesterday, <laughs> waiting for Coach JB to. He's a mountain of a man. Oh my God, very nice guy. We had a great chat. Um, he says hello, and so I'm just kind of walking around, and and the Mandalay Bay is one of the main hotels, and obviously it's the fight hotel that I'll be attending later tonight. Uh, but I find it interesting that they have all these like places and the signage of the game. I only see a few fans. And I, I just am like, where is everybody? Now, again, it's it's Thursday. I'm assuming everyone's going to get here tonight and tomorrow. But if you were to tell me, Steve, do you feel a great Super Bowl buzz being at this particular hotel? I would have to honestly say, no, I do not. I'm trying to figure out. When I can't remember when I landed in Vegas for NBA All-Star Weekend, but when I landed in Vegas for NBA All-Star Weekend, I knew it was NBA All-Star Weekend. All the people on my plane were headed to NBA All-Star Weekend, and they let you know it. But I was probably flying in on Thursday or Friday rather than on you know early in the week like a Super Bowl and the Super Bowl normally does swallow up a city like when it's in Phoenix or San Diego when it used to be in San Diego I mean you felt it all around the city the whole city was you know fans and people and and so you felt it Vegas can swallow that up but you know maybe this because I I was thinking this could be a reenactment of NBA All-Star Weekend uh, you know, the, the L.A. gangs can all drive up yeah. to uh, <laughs> Las Vegas and have a convention. <laughs> but anyway, I want to go back to my, my, my real point, and I mean this authentically. You're going to hear a lot of conversation about Taylor Swift, obviously, this weekend. She's a performer. She's in the city of performances and performing. She's a major, major story. A lot of people connect conspiracy theories about what's going to happen to the game to her. And then Caitlin Clark on Sunday is actually playing in a really interesting basketball game where she may break uh, Kelsey Plum's scoring record, uh, all-time scoring record. And I think that game's going to draw a lot of attention. I think they're playing against Nebraska. And so, so it, it's funny. I know for a fact I'll watch 
Caitlin Clark, start to finish <laughs> against Nebraska. I can't believe I'm saying that. And I think I'll watch the Super Bowl start to finish. A- am I making too much of just how much these two women will be talked about this Super Bowl weekend? Well, look, we, we know Taylor Swift has become a storyline, especially given who her significant other is. But, you know, I've had ESPN on in the room, and I've just kind of been watching uh, some of the coverage as background noise as I do other things. You know, they, they've kind of kept it to sports. They, they did a comparison of Kelsey to Kittle, so that's basically been football. The, the Taylor Swift thing is a consistent storyline. I almost think you can mute it out at this point. I'll be honest with you. I've never really been bothered by it. But I'm also a guy that watches a lot of NFL Red Zone. I don't specifically watch Chief games. So my exposure to her has been relatively muted. Okay, so maybe I'm not the core audience that's angry about this. Now, as it relates to Caitlin Clark. Um, hold for I, I one second. Like a, hold for one second. Hold for yeah. one second. Let me ask you a follow-up because I think yeah. this is fascinating. I just thought of it in real time. So you're saying right now, hey, I got ESPN on in the background, and, yeah. and I think actually that's almost an outdated way of monitoring the sports world. Twitter is actually our newspaper, our national news outlet. And so I think the chatter over Twitter, and again, I don't think it's a reflection of how many people are on Twitter, but it is the news outlet of record for sports and virtually everything. And so maybe I, I'm, yeah, you can't judge the sports world by what's going on on ESPN because ESPN is so out of step with the typical sports fan where Twitter is more in alignment with the actual sports yeah. fan. What do you think about that? Yeah, but again, I don't see, look, will Taylor Swift bump the ratings significantly in this game? Jason, every year there's one sport or one event that's the number one rated television event no matter who plays. It is the Super Bowl. It's been that way for about 40-plus years, right? So, I mean, they're going to say there's a Taylor Swift bump, right, a half a percent. Because the bottom line is there's always going to be about half the country that watches it. And if you go to various Super Bowl parties like I have, and I try to be selective because I want to watch it with football people, but Super Bowl Sunday is the one day a year that generally people who do not care about sports at all ever they couldn't even tell you who the quarterbacks are for any of the teams they will watch this game so if there's ever a game or an event where taylor swift will not have a great impact like maybe she would have in the middle of october it has to be super bowl sunday i remember being at super bowl parties and it's almost like fight parties it was excruciating to me that all these people would not shut their mouths and watch the games. I mean, they talk about everything but football while the game's going on. I'm like, would you people shut the up once in a while? There's a kind of an important game going on. So I don't know. I think this is the one weekend where Taylor Swift, I don't think, has the impact. The Super Bowl is always the show. It has never changed. Uh, we're going to get to Caden Clark in a minute. But Steve, what fight did I watch with you here in Nashville? It was the Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, their third fight, October of 2021. And so my memory of that fight, I thought you're pretty you're pretty chatty during a fight, but maybe that's because uh, you were with real sports fans or is No, yeah, yeah. But we were talking about the fight. 
I mean, I wasn't talking about, hey, did you get the new Tupperware collection? Hey, how about the new border plan? No, 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 no. We're talking about the fight. Like, let me just tell you something. When I watch a game at Football Palooza with Coach JB, with his football buddies, his friends, former players, you know what we talk about? Get this. Ball. We talk about the game. We're not talking about, oh, my God. Uh, we got to get a babysitter Tuesday, honey. Yeah, I know. What is she charging nowadays? Hey, did you hear about the new opera? I'm like, oh, God, people, please leave. Like, the thing that's – like when you go to a pay-per-view fight party, you always know who the real fight fans are. The real guys like me – and, again, I cover the sport. As soon as that button comes on and you press play, I'm watching the undercard because I theoretically have to cover it. Um, basically, everyone else will not start paying attention, at least 80% of the people, till the main event fighters are coming into that arena as gladiators. And that's how you kind of separate – the hardcore fans from the casual fans. And that's the way it is at football games for the most part when it relates to the Super Bowl. Now to your Caitlin Clark. How much conversation you think we'll have about her on Sunday if she breaks that record? I think it's going to be a big deal. You know what? I I, I know one thing. You, you put me as a collaborator on that Instagram reel uh, on Caitlin Clark. And I'm just – I'm getting my, my – uh, mentioned and i'm like wow i must have put up a great photo and like my instagram has never been that busy i i could i i, I felt like one of those hot models i was like God, and it's all kate and clark and people are killing cheryl i'm not gonna call her cheryl snopes because she doesn't have her facts right neither do they but cheryl swoops is taking a beating i, I now know ad nauseum uh miss clark does not take 40 shots a game uh it's been hammered into my head that she takes well less. Now, here's the thing, though, with the public. Um, certain people are telling me she takes 19 shots a game. Other people are telling me she takes 23. Folks, let's get the story straight. Let's come up with a number. This is all math. We don't have to, like, fudge the numbers. But it, it, it's as big a story as women's basketball is going to be, short of a Final Four rematch between LSU, Angel Reese, and the Iowa Hawkeyes. I will say that she has become this lightning rod, and I don't think it's fair because I don't think she's asking for it. She has now become, unfortunately and very unfairly, the face of white female privilege in college basketball because of her own dominance. <laughs> Do white females have privilege in the sports world? Uh Obviously, Caitlin Clark does because the derision, and I'm not saying that she deserves it. I think it's incredibly unfair. I see this a lot in boxing. When a really good foreign fighter from another country comes and starts taking headlines and gets a lot of attention from us media members, there's a certain faction of fans that make this very cultural and downright racial, and they start whining about how come you're not paying attention to the fighters we like. And I'm just like, hey, look, the, this guy here is good. You can go out there and worship and be a jock sniffer for whoever you want to be. But I, I just think it, it points to the fact that there's a certain amount of people in America that want cultural symbols and they rely upon them. And then if a Caitlin Clark, who was, I don't want to say the word disruptor, they feel very, very aggrieved that how dare that, number one, she be good. And number two, I think it's a downright shame. They'll claim racism that other people will praise them. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. We'll, we'll see if uh, if she breaks the record on Sunday or when she breaks the record, whenever it is, if Don Staley 
uh, takes a passive-aggressive shot at her uh, the well, way she did after making that game-winning shot. You, you know what I want to see? And it, 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 Go ahead, tweet at me or text me if this happens. I, I actually want to see Caitlin Clark shoot 40 times this game. If she's up to about 20-some-odd <laughs> shots at halftime, go ahead, Jason. I'll be at JB's house for the Super Bowl Festa. Like, hey, Kim, get over to the game. She's at 24 shots at halftime. You know what? I'm be like, you know, she's going for 70. She's trying to do like a Kobe Bryant to break the record. You know what? I'll watch. I, I promise you. I'll, I'll, I'll be like, JB, turn on the women's college basketball game, and I'll probably get kicked <laughs> out. But I will request that we watch Iowa women's basketball. Yeah. Are are you old enough to remember when David Thompson and George Gervin Oh yeah, uh, were going well, for the scoring title? I think in maybe seventy nine. Okay, I'm not old enough yeah. to remember it, but I do remember the story that one guy had this sixty point game, and I think they told the other guy, "Hey, you're going to need this amount of points." And it was this great, unbelievable duel. Uh, I actually recently saw a documentary on the Iceman, George Gervin, and they carved out a large segment of that. Uh, I'm just telling you, the worst – the thing about Caitlin Clark is going to be interesting, that when it comes to the tournament – and, again, I don't want to use the term great white hope, but she's going to be like Jerry Cooney in 1982 to a lot of people, good and bad, as you face <laughs> down against Larry Holmes. And, unfortunately, that thing became completely racialized. I was a young kid. Uh, when that happened, that's when I first started knowing what boxing was. And there have been documentaries done on it, like Legendary Nights. And Larry Merchant has said that's some, that, that event that he covered ringside was probably the most tense situation that he could ever feel at a live sporting event. Like, it was palpable, like, what was going on and what was taking place. I think I was in eighth grade when that fight was going yeah. on. And uh, one of my best friends in eighth grade was a white dude named Shannon. And we argued about that fight. I was on Team Larry Holmes. and was like, Jay Cooney's going to get embarrassed. He's not in the same class as Larry Holmes. And he was on the <laughs> other side. And it, but it was, it, was, it was back when you, you had great fun. It wasn't an right. uh, intense <laughs> argument. It was a fun <laughs> argument. And well, when Larry on. Holmes, I can remember we watched the fight together, and Larry Holmes won, and I was right. Hey, hey Jason, I think I think some of this audience that hate watches you every day, they are probably stunned that you rooted for Larry Holmes, even back then. Okay, so folks, let's go on the record. <laughs> Jason Whitlock was rooting for the Easton Assassin, Larry Holmes, that night. But when it comes to the March Madness, Final Four, Caitlin Clark and the – progress of Iowa, as long as they're in it, there she will drive ratings. There's no doubt about it. She's going to drive ratings, and it goes all the way to the final four. And here's what's going to happen. A lot of people like you are going to say, see, this is great. She's a driver of an audience. She brings ratings. All right. But there's going to be the other people that say, oh, look at this. They're going to be very aggrieved by it. The same people that say that women's sports should be celebrated, that we need to support it, will now then have a problem because the only reason why a lot of us are watching is because of Caitlin Clark. So which is it? I, I, they're trying to have here's it both the best, ways here. Here's the best case scenario, in my opinion. Caitlin Clark and Iowa make the final four. Right. Lose in the semifinal round. But the ratings are enormous. <laughs> and they actually dwarf... They actually dwarf the championship game. And Don Staley wins the championship yeah. game with hardly anyone watching. And, and when the numbers come out, 
She uses it to say, this is why I didn't play at BYU, and this is why America's racist, because you know we were the best team and no one wanted to watch us, and it's racism. That would be yeah. a perfect script, perfect I, I will say, anyway. say this. Don Staley at BYU, not a good fit. There's a lot of reasons why, Don, you wouldn't have played at BYU. It's not the one you're saying, Don. Let's just keep that honest. Not judging. Uh, your Super Bowl prediction, I, maybe we got it earlier in the week, but give it to me again. Who's winning on Sunday? Jason, I, I, as I look at this, it's tough to go against Mahomes and that mystique of Andy Reid. But when we had Bob Arum on the three knockdown, he brought up a point. He, he thought that more of the good players were with the Niners. McCaffrey, Ayuk, uh, Debo, Bosa, Fred Werner, George Kittle. So you know what? Against my better judgment, I'm going to go against the Chiefs, and I believe the 49ers will finally break through and get to the mountaintop under Shanahan. That's that's my prediction, too. They win in a squeaker, three-pointer, field goal at the end. But as JB says, what do I know? Uh, Thank you, Steve. Have a great Super Bowl weekend. Be safe in Las Vegas. Uh, Don't lose all your money shooting craps. Uh, Stick around. Robbie and Landon Starbuck and their documentary, The War on Children, next. Welcome back and welcome Robbie and Landon Starbuck. Back to the show. Robbie was on the show earlier this week. He's now brought his lovely wife, Landon, with him. Uh, Good decision, Robbie. Uh, They have a new documentary out, The War on Children, available now on Rumble, uh, My Movies Plus, and X. Uh, The War on Children is a documentary about the sexual exploitation, the human trafficking of children. But you don't need me to tell you what it's about. We got these guys to tell you what it's about. Robbie, uh, The War on Children, I think it's been out for about five, six, seven days or a week. What, what, what's it about? And give us a little history on. Yeah, it's been out since uh, Friday. And, uh, you know, this movie really is a culmination of all of the work Landon and I have done together over the years to try to awaken people to this war that is being waged on our kids. And it goes from, you know, the big tech companies to mega corporations, the government, nonprofits, NGOs, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Big pharma, I mean, but they all interconnect. And the problem is your average person, we see one negative story at a time. And so maybe one week it's this, one week it's that. We don't see how they all interconnect, how these people work together. And this documentary really puts Big the puzzle Pharma pieces together. is a part of what's going on with children. Oh, absolutely. Un- 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 unpack that. So let me give you an example. One of the primary ways that the media sells the idea of accepting that children are born in the wrong body and should have their bodies mutilated in a transgender you know, surgery or in this process is through the Trevor Project. Okay, So they say the Trevor Project studies show that it would be healthier to let these kids transition. What they don't tell you is they're not studies at all. This was a quiz that was done online to a targeted audience. They looked for a group of kids that was the sample they wanted and rewarded them with gift cards and things like that. Okay. Now, here's what's interesting. You know who one of the big funders is of the Trevor Project? AbbVie. AbbVie makes puberty blockers. Oh, but they're not actually approved to be puberty blockers. They prescribe these off-label. It's also a chemical castration drug they give to pedophiles. They're giving to kids as a puberty blocker. So AbbVie gives them the donation that then whitewashes the use of their drug 
as a puberty blocker. And when you put any pressure on AbbVie and ask AbbVie, hey, why don't you guys do safety studies on it as a puberty blocker since you guys know it's being prescribed in wide use by doctors to children off-label, AbbVie says, no, we don't want to. And the government doesn't make them do it. So they keep this cycle up, and that abuse of children continues. And if you go even further down this line of how it connects to ESG and the corporate equality index, it connects to all these things that function as ways to push wokeness through business. So, you know, at the end of the day, the way I see it is, it's child abuse for profit. And that's how they've made this function. And so you've got the nonprofit helping the big pharmaceutical company, and they all scratch each other's backs, and children are the victims. Lena, when I hear that, and, and again, I didn't prepare you all for this, but, or, and, and so, but when I hear that, I think about the abortion movement because I'm all, we always talk on this show about uh, if your mindset doesn't realize that life starts at conception, you're really just a baby murderer. And, you know, because it, and so your mindset is rigged wrong and so we shouldn't be surprised that these people would be very comfortable, the pro-abortion crowd be very comfortable experimenting, destroying babies, because they really don't believe in the sanctity of life. You're absolutely right. I mean, that fundamental belief that if a child is inconvenient or unwanted, that they're expendable, is the same core belief that extends to child trafficking, child sexual exploitation, because if a child comes from poverty or a difficult circumstance, now if they're unwanted or inconvenient, they could be exploited by a predator. And so that's why so many of these vulnerable kids were seeing exploited at higher rates than ever before. And that's what this film addresses, is what are those vulnerabilities and why are kids so easily exploited nowadays? Robbie, I, I, don't, I don't know how, well, you're the expert. You, you worked out in Hollywood, worked with a lot of the top people. There's a conversation going on among conservatives and Christians and on social media. Like, this whole thing is like a pedophile cult ring has hijacked our government. Where, where do, or it, everything is attached to some type of child sacrifice and everything we're doing is is some power group that is all Jeff Epstein, Epstein Island. Do you buy that? Do you support? There's no denying that we have a massive pedophilia problem, not just in the United States, but across the global elite and across the world. I mean, this is something that, um, you know, I can't stress enough that it's not just there, though. This is a societal problem. We are not treating children like the innocent children that we should be treating them like. We're not raising them up with any sort of cohesive value set as a country, okay? And that in itself is its own problem. But in terms of like Hollywood, DC, all those places, you can't deny the abuse of kids. It's out in the open for everybody to see. You know, so when you look at how Hollywood, for instance, just sort of glossed over the abuse of children for decades and decades and decades until it became a moment in the Me Too movement where they sort of like, they injected a little bit of it into that. They still never addressed head on the problem of child exploitation in their industry. They never addressed it. They know it exists. They know it's a problem. Every child star we remember from when we were younger now comes out and says how they were sexually abused or mistreated or had drugs plied on them, ended up abused by somebody on set. There, There was functionally very little to protect them on set. 
you know, we used to have a rule actually on my sets that I hadn't seen anybody else have, and that was that we would never have a child on set unless they had their parent with them. It was not good enough to have just the teacher that is required by the rules that we had. They had to have a parent with them. We did not want any kids ever in a situation where a teacher they don't know may put them in an uncomfortable position or where somebody on set could do the same thing. And so, you know, we have to operate with a set of values as a country that looks out for our kids. And that's what we're trying to show people through this movie is like, you know, I think, I think we're guilty as a society, if I go back to your question, of sometimes making all of this infotainment where you see some people, you know, they'll focus in and they'll say, you know, uh, Hollywood's run by pedophile elite and, and that's the whole thing. And it's like, let's get clicks, outrage, Hollywood's sick. Okay, what did we accomplish? We accomplished nothing. What are we gonna do to change things for our kids? And our film tries to drive home at that point of like, we all have action items, we all have things we can do. And my wife's nonprofit, freedomforever.us, right now, if you go put in an email, we send a free parenting manual, it's called The Parenting Revolution. And it has a list of action items for you to protect your kids. The things we don't know as parents, like we did a teen focus group in the film, we did multiple of them, and the teenagers had no idea what the other group said. What they said about social media and the internet, I mean, I might as well have had them all in the same room because they all said the same things to us about how dangerous it is and how kids just know more than their parents. And they showed us how they do certain things that their parents have no clue that they can do, where their parent thinks they have no social media in some cases. And they show us how you use focus mode to flop from one screen to another. So you have a phone your parents see and a phone that you see. Your parents have no clue, okay? It's not even like they used to use the secret apps. They don't even do that anymore. You have two different phones functionally on your phone and the tools have been given to you by big tech. Your parents are just clueless about it. And so these are the things we can affect change on. You know, here in Tennessee, my wife and I have been pushing for the death penalty for child rapists. This is something that too many conservatives have been afraid to push because they say, oh, well, there's Supreme Court precedent on this. You know, you can't, you can't give them the death penalty. Well, you can, precedent, you can challenge it. Guess what, Democrats do it all the time. It's a bad precedent, the case law on it is terrible, and it will be overturned at Supreme Court. So. We have that now here in Tennessee on the precipice of passing where child rapists will have to be afraid again of the ultimate punishment if they rape children in the state of Tennessee. Those are the things we can be doing is become activists for kids to protect them instead of just being outraged by these people. And the more we do that other stuff and set these lines in society, the less room evil people have to operate. When you look back, because I, I do, I'm 56, you guys are in your 30s, but w when you look back at Hollywood, and, and again, you're, you're still young, do, do you look back and go, man, I was really naive. I, I, you know, there were so many things going on that I was so naive that, that I was blinded towards. Do, do you have that same experience? Yeah, so she was a billboard charting artist too, you know, so she saw a lot of this stuff from the record industry side and it's like, it's, it's just as bad if not worse than Hollywood and it's like, mm -hmm. uh, I definitely see the things I was naive to because for instance, you know, now with the full knowledge I have, I'll give you a sort of an interesting um, anecdote. You know, let's, let's look at something like Old Town Road. You know that song by Little Lil Nas? Little yeah. Nasty X, yeah. Okay, so when that song came out, it became the most popular song in the country. He became the most subscribed to artist on YouTube, okay? He went from that directly to sending children who subscribed to his account because they played that on YouTube Kids, okay? So he's the most subscribed to account by people under the age of 18 for an artist, okay? Male artist in the world, not just America. 
The next thing they get is an alert for his Montero video a couple years later, okay? Which is him gyrating on Satan, simulating sex with Satan, going down into hell with Satan. Like this whole disgusting, horrific thing. I think when I was younger, I didn't understand that labels were targeting kids. I thought there's some bad parents out there who don't set the, the lines they should. It's up to parents to do this. But when you have predators actively targeting your kids, it's hard. You have to be like an eagle every day. And parents, you know, we need to be, we should be, but we also should be trying as a society to do things for the kids who don't have anybody looking out for them. And that's one of those lines that should be a no-brainer. A video of simulating sex should not be allowed to be sent out to a bunch of little kids on their phones and devices. I've always said that the entertainment industry is the marketing arm for the sexual exploitation industry because they have been the ones to groom us as a society into accepting child exploitation. The film Cuties, um, we see kids in films all the time. Uh, most recently, the one that Obama's funded, the um, apocalyptic, you know, end of world Netflix film. One, yep. Leave you know, the world behind. Yeah, so I watched it just for research purposes, right? And um, there was a scene of a minor masturbating. And nobody, not one person m mentioned this you know, and, th and that speaks to the fact that society doesn't see that as wrong or problematic, that we are just showing that in a film. Um, obviously, the, the, it wasn't, you know, they didn't show his genitalia, but the fact that they, they seduce us into these ideas as accepting them, swipe left, no, no big deal. And they are a big deal. And, and that's precisely why we don't recognize signs of grooming, signs of children in trouble, because we just see, oh, they're just at a drag show. Oh, they're just dancing. They're in dance class. You know, these behaviors become mainstream, these sexual behaviors. You just reminded me of a Matthew McConaughey movie from the early 2010, mid-2010, 2011. And I, because I, I don't watch any movie pretty much that's been made in the last 10 years. Yeah. Because I just think it's, but, but as I start watching older movies, now that my eyes have been open, I was like, man, even the older movies. Yes. And so... I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Killer Joe. No. Matthew McConaughey, and it's about, he's some kind of sheriff that's investigating something, but he has this uh, flirtation with a 15-year-old girl. And I can remember I got a third of the way through the movie, and they had been just hinting around about this, but then they got into a scene where Matthew McConaughey is standing in front of her and she's stripping down naked and I just hit stop and just let, went away and I was like, oh my, this is a Matthew McConaughey movie, this is killer. We did this? We, we, people are, how did this happen? And, and why aren't there rules and regulations to, to, to stop this? I, I just, I just, how, how did we get here? We lost our moral clarity and our faith as a country. You know, that's another thing that we make sure to underline in the film is that, you know, even if you are a faithless person, okay, if you're an atheist out there, you need to look at the facts and reality of the situation. If you, if you consider yourself analytical, well, look at the, the state of our country. Look at the state of our children. They've never been more depressed. They've never had more problems in their lives, okay? Despite all of the ways their lives have been improved, I mean, you Allegedly. look at the uh, you look at the way that you know we live in society. You've got air conditioning. You've got you know everything you could want to be safe. Okay, <laughs> it's literally at the tip of your fingers. But they're just in a terrible state. And what does that align with? The worst faithlessness problem that we have ever had. 
Kids report being faithless and not believing in God at higher rates than they ever have in American history. And it intersects with that. It's not an accident. It's not an accident that those things intersect. So even if you were an atheist and you just said, I don't believe in God, you should be desiring if you believe in sanity that people start believing in God again. Because just based on the premise alone of the fact that society tears apart at the steams when people don't have faith, that by itself should be enough to convince you that it's just a good thing if you look at it in that perspective, you know? So I think if we get back to the reality that we need moral clarity as a country, we need a set of lines that we all can agree on, you know, I, I think the place it gets hairy is with adults, right? We had this conversation last night um, on a Twitter spaces, and it, it was essentially, you know, where do you draw the line? And I think it just needs to be kids, because once you get into policing what a adults decide they want to do. It gets hairy really fast with free speech and things like that. But with kids, it should be very easy. No sexual abuse of children, no intimating sexual abuse of children. N none of this is allowed. All of this craziness needs to be dealt with with the swiftest action and the harshest consequences. I, I think I'm to the point because I, use, I like to watch movies and virtually every sex scene in a movie serves no purpose. Yep. It doesn't drive the narrative. It's completely unnecessary. And, and now, because my eyes are open, I'm just like, is this the director just wanting to shoot a bunch of video of these two people and he can go watch it at home? Because I would imagine in a movie, you know, they may show you a 60, 90 second sex scene, but maybe they shot they shoot a lot more than that. Yeah. Yeah. No, they shoot a lot more than that. And I think it's actually, it's, it's, it's a little bit more complicated. I think there's definitely sick directors like yeah. that, especially of children's shows. There's some weird stuff out there. I mean, look into the past of Nickelodeon. Um, there's a lot of weird stuff there. But when you look at why they do this, it's because society, by and large, has been trained to want to buy movies that have sex in them. They want the forbidden fruit. And it's because they've been trained up by a media and a culture to believe that that forbidden fruit is desirable. The wrong things have been taught. We've totally mixed up you know, our children who then grow up to be adults in terms of what should you want? Because if you put up an ad right now and you say, like, give me, who's like top A-list star? Tom Cruise, Denzel Washington. You say Tom Cruise is gonna be naked for the first time ever in this film, okay? You're gonna have a whole host of women who go see the film just for that because they've been trained up to desire something that they consider like a forbidden fruit. Okay, and they've also been trained that Tom Cruise is desirable. Same thing vice versa with men. We've been trained to believe that certain things are desirable that should not be. And so when you know, men are proposed the idea of like, hey, you're gonna see this woman who's super famous naked for the first time ever and she's gonna do all these, these things that you can fantasize about. It's almost like societal permission of like, oh, everybody's gonna be doing that. I should be able to do that. You know, and, and that's, that's wrong. Because I got 20 years on you guys, I can remember being, and I don't know what year Fatal Attraction came out, but when Sharon Stone uncrossed her legs, I can remember that was a big deal. And that's all we talked about at school, wherever I was at that time. Fatal Attraction, Sharon Stone. And everybody, and, and that was part of programming us uh, and, and raising that expectation. But Robbie, one thing that, that excites me about what you're doing and your involvement is just like you're so skilled and have so much experience. You're able to put out a documentary, perhaps at a higher level, 
than what we have been normally getting from the conservative side? Like, what is a woman I thought was put out at a really high level, and I would imagine war on children is put out at that same level, if not better? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say in terms of quality, it's probably the highest quality documentary we've had on our side, and it was very important to me that we do that because you fight this culture war with art that is good. Because at the end of the day, there are people out there who they don't want to watch something, could have the best information in the world, but if it's in a package that is repulsive to them or boring to them, it doesn't matter how good your information is. You have to understand the art of storytelling and how you get this across with beautiful aspirational images and at the same time, have that dis discernment to know like they need to be shown the other stuff. They need to be shown the reality of what our kids are being put through. And it's why I've told people like this, this documentary is not to watch with your kids, okay? This is for the parents. This is for the parents and grandparents out there to understand what is going on, how to fight it, how to stop it. And so that you finally have a tool to be able to wake up those people in your life who don't think it's happening. Because we all know those people like that. You know, I had this great conversation with Rand Paul's wife. Um, where I asked Kelly about, uh, you know, sort of the area they live in, in D.C. When, when they're there for a lot of stuff. And she says, you know, there's, there's all these people who just, they don't believe this is happening. They don't think that there's porn in schools. They don't think that there's drag queens doing these inappropriate things to kids. They're just disconnected from everything entirely. And so none of it's in one place for us to explain it all to them. And she couldn't wait for the documentary because of that. She wanted to be able to gift it to those people so they could understand this war on children exists. I'm not crazy. This stuff is happening. We found all these books that we showed in the documentary in public schools, you know, and we're proving to people that the media is lying to them. You know, we, we did a very important thing of juxtaposing what the mainstream media says with reality. So you could go through quick cuts of MSNBC, CNN, NBC, ABC, saying that nobody has done surgeries on children. And then we hard cut from those scenes that have been just pushed into the American psyche to somebody who had their breasts taken off at age 13 in a double mastectomy. When they never looked into her mental health issues, they put her on blockers when she was 12, a 12 year old. Okay, and when somebody has to see those juxtaposed together, the moral clarity is very, it's very clear all of a sudden. All these people are liars over here and you've got a child over here, a damaged child that's been abused by a system that is not being held accountable. And when you put it all together in one cohesive narrative, I think people understand it's time for us to stand up as adults. Be the adults in the room, do the hard things, be courageous. And so when we talk about the adults standing up and doing the right thing, it's great that you're doing it, you're talented, you've made really good money out in Hollywood, but are the billionaires, are there any Bill Ackmans that are like, he's taking on Harvard and the Ivy League, are there any people really significant means supporting your work and this type of work so we can get the higher quality documentaries? That is a very interesting question. Um, you know, Elon Musk has been very, very good to us in sharing the documentary. I think it has 30 million views in the last 48 hours now on his account. Um, I think that we're gonna see people like him step up in, in this to be supporters, you know? Um, he, he's been a supporter, so I think that there are people out there I think that we have less on our side than they have on theirs. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll put it that way because you don't amass that type of wealth um, easily. You know, in, in Elon's case, he truly is a visionary of all the companies he's got. But in a lot of these other cases, there's just a lot of really dark underbellies of how they get to that 
net worth, you know? And so there's a reason they're aligned with the left on wokeness. There's very few who are pulling themselves away from it. I do think the ones like Elon that are recognizing wokeness as a problem, that it's a disease that is going to cause serious, serious harm to humanity, they're prepared at this point to step up in certain ways. So I think not just on an art level, but on every level, from academia, corporations, everything, I think you're gonna see more and more people like that stand up and try to do things, or even silently in the background, try to do things. I, I wanna play the official trailer. I wanna give the audience a taste of this, and we'll play some clips from, I think Riley Gaines is in, in the movie, uh, Rand Paul is, but let's play the official trailer so we can get the audience more caught up. Are they intentionally sexualizing our children and stealing their innocence? I think that's right. TikTok specifically is designed to target young people. That's who their audience is. Have children died because of social media? Absolutely. Have they been trafficked off of social media? 100%. Have they been sexually exploited off of social media? Ongoing, yes. I'm scrolling on TikTok. I see little kids with TikTok. What are they looking at? This is what you don't want kids to see, is that correct? Exactly. And again, this is depicting children. This is, this is supposed to be kids. Well, honestly, I didn't even know that transition um, from female to male was an option until I um, was on social media and began being exposed to those type of communities. You've never seen an 18-month-old masturbating? No, I haven't. Have you seen any sexually explicit drag shows marketed as only just for kids that you would denounce or think that are a problem and that you want to distance yourself from? No. You know this is wrong. So, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to end the interview. I use the word sexualize kids at a young age or, you know, I'm feeling young, right? It just seems like there's no moral, you know, construct at all. Are kids facing just the absolute worst onslaught of grooming that we've ever seen? Yes, the entertainment industry is sexualizing children for an agenda. Your daughter was secretly transitioned at school. This policy has to do with children as young as five all the way through high school. Penthouse footed the bill to lobby before state boards of education. Yes, Penthouse and Playboy. The history behind this is far darker than most Americans understand. I think the big tech companies at this point are essentially aiding and abetting human traffickers and people who are working to exploit children. Absolutely. If you don't want to hear it in a school board meeting, why should children be able to check it out of the school system? There is misinformation presented that somehow that we're doing surgery on minors or even children, and that simply is not true. How old were you when they gave you a double mastectomy? It was a month after my 13th birthday. Ultimately, we're going to talk about are they going to give the counselors going to give them medication there at school without their parents' permission? I mean, I think we're leading towards an absurd and horrific time. Well, first of all, we weren't forewarned we would be sharing a locker. We had no idea. I turn around, a six foot four, 22 year old man, fully intact with an exposing male genitalia. This ideology is killing our kid. Do you think more people need to speak up to protect kids like your daughter? Yes. I do. Well, I think from heaven she can see how hard you fought for her. Do you feel like this is a war on children? I know it's a war on children, but like they said, we're coming for your kids. Yeah. And they have.
the cameras get turned off for just a second, I just want to have a real conversation. <laughs> so, your spoiler: the the cameras did not get turned off. <laughs> <laughs> so, your final question there: is this a war on children? Makes me go to. I think it's a war on three different levels, but I'm trying to figure out. I want you to explain what's the ranking. Is is this a a global war on children? Is this a war directed at Western civilization? Is this a war directed at America and to bring down our young people? It's probably an attack on all three levels, but what's the highest priority here? America, Western civilization, or this global agenda? You know, to be honest with you, I think that they all intersect and I think it's all happening at once. And it's it's sort of a chaos strategy. That's how Lannan's talked about it is it's a chaos strategy. The, the more chaos, the better chance they have of succeeding at bringing everything down. You know, if you look back at communist revolutions across all of human history, okay, they all have something in common. They never happen to a happy country. They happen during chaos, manufactured chaos. And so if you can manufacture that chaos on a global scale in any way, you can bring through revolution, whether it be communism, whether it be a radical ideology, it doesn't matter what it is. If you can create that chaos, manufacture it, create an enemy, and create a savior, you can, you can do anything. <laughs> that, that sounds like revelations and you know, one world government and the Antichrist. That's, I mean, that's the track that this ideology leads toward is a one world government, which I can't think of anything more dangerous. You know, there should never be that, that, that type of control over humanity. I mean, really, you said actually just this morning, this is really a war on humanity, on God's creation. That, that's what this is. It's a war on all of it. They go after kids because they're the most vulnerable. And it's also about the future. They understand that maybe right this second, you're, you're as, a as a society not willing to accept the legalization of pedophilia. They understand though, that if they can get the kids to believe pedophilia is okay, that when they're adults, maybe they'll look the other way. Maybe they'll feel like they need daddy government so much to survive that they're willing to let the government do anything. And so if that's the case, they're willing to wait 20 years for the kids to bring forth that future as long as they're able to indoctrinate them now while the parents are on the sidelines. It's so, the attack on family, and, and they pretend like they don't understand the ramifications, but there's so many ramifications. And, and I'm just talking, I'm 56. <clears throat> so I can remember when my parents divorced, me, my brother and mother, uh, we moved to an apartment in the ghetto. And there's a lot of single mothers. And so there's a lot less parental supervision. And so uh, sexual uh, stupidity is more, it's unsupervised. And kids are gonna do stupid things when there's no supervision. Mm -hmm. And so you destroy the family and create all these single parent households. That opens doors for uncles, grandfathers, uh, next door neighbors, whoever's supervising your kid rather than mommy and daddy to sexually exploit those kids. And so when my mother, our, our apartment got broken into, uh, when me and my brother were off staying with my dad and, his, and my step family, my mother didn't tell us that, but it got broken into, she was home, 
And then she moved us, she took a second job and moved us to a working class suburb where there were more families and intact families. And so I'm in a different environment and culture. And I can remember, I moved there when I was in third grade. And I had to be reprogrammed. I've talked about this on this show because I brought a lot of that stupidity, sexual stupidity. We used to play a game called hind go get it. We didn't play hind go seek. We played hind go get it. They didn't play that out <laughs> in this new neighborhood. And I had to make adjustments and have my mind and, and thank God for it. But, but that, that's what, when I just think about like how long-term their vision is, and it makes me like fearful, like can we catch up? Can we fix this? Uh, you know, it's just like same-sex marriage. You're men adopting babies, denying the baby a mother. This is crazy. But there's a case recently, Shane Dawson, famous YouTuber, him and his partner, have two kids in Colorado, Shane has made all types of comments that were totally fond of pedophilia, you know, and he's allowed to have these kids in his care where he's admitted to sexually abusing an animal, okay? Like this is any sane human being, if you sat them down and you said, hey, you're acting as a jury of his peers, is this man fit to have a child in his care? They'd say, absolutely not, he should be in a prison. It would take an absolute psychopath to say, yeah, put a kid in his care. The comments he's made are horrific. Like, I mean, some of the most horrific stuff you could possibly say. And as a country, we're saying, eh, well, we'll look the other way. So to your point about, is it too late? It can't be. Because if it's too late, I mean, all bets are off. Everything is gonna get so dark from here that I don't think you want to imagine that. So you have to believe. You have to believe that we can catch up. You have to believe that we can stop them. And that takes faith. And again, you know, we were talking, you, earlier this week, you did a show that asked the question of, you know, essentially what your favorite sacrifice in the Bible was. And I would tell people, be like Saul, have blind faith, be, be that, that man that's willing to drop everything in your life that you know and love, or woman, drop everything you know and love to do the right thing, to do what you feel called to, to do what you feel drawn to. And it doesn't matter what the cost of that is, in this context, to save our kids, save the generation, save our country, save the world, we all have to do something. We're all gonna have to sacrifice something. Our ancestors died in fields, froze in wars, I mean, we couldn't even fathom the sacrifices our ancestors made, what our ancestors went through. You know, we live cushy lives in comparison. And so it's our turn to sacrifice something. And, and that's, that's where we're at. And for a lot of men and women, I think one of the biggest sacrifices we all have to make is quit worrying about what the world says about us. And you know, I, I was, at uh, Charlie Kirk's uh, TPUSA event out in Phoenix in I think December or November. And, and my whole speech was like, hey men, and, and I was real with it, I was, like, I was like, particularly you white guys, quit apologizing. America's history should not compel shame, it should compel gratitude. 
That's just a fact. I don't care what they say. So get off your knees and quit apologizing. They got you on the defensive like you got something to apologize for, and you just don't. And, 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 and so if they want to call you every name in the book, they call me a coon, an Uncle Tom, a sellout. I'm a puppet for the white man. I'm good with all of it. Call me all those names. And, and I, maybe it's a tiny bit more difficult for white guys, but, but I really don't because... There's things, I, I grew up socializing with, when, when I was much younger, with just like black people that were Democrats or whatever, that now it's like off limits for me to socialize in the things I grew up in because there's so much hostility because I'm standing on these Christian conservative values. And so I've had to sacrifice that. And it's easier when you're 56 because you don't like to do much at 56. You guys will find that out in 20 years. Oh, I'm already there. <laughs> I'm already there. I have the heart of an old man, so I'm, I'm already there. But th there's, we got to sacrifice our reputations and know that you know, God is looking down and is the real judge of our character and our values. He, he knows our heart. And, and so the circling, you know, we talked earlier or in the week about Tucker Carlson and other people and yourself and Matt Walsh and all the, oh, you got Charlie Kirk. You guys are all racist. Blah, blah. Nah, I'm just standing on this Bible and. I got called an Uncle Tom recently and I'm still trying to figure that out because <laughs> I was like, I'm Latino, yes, I am Cuban, but the Uncle Tom thing, it doesn't quite make sense to me. I usually get more so they say gusano, which in, it's like a, basically in Spanish, like calling you like a worm. But what's funny is it's always like white liberals who call me it. And it's something that like the communists in uh, colleges now, like they like, they think it's like some cute thing to say. It doesn't even make sense. I mean, the, all of the, the things like the Kuhn thing and the Uncle Tom thing, like, none of it makes any like logical sense to me. You know, does it make any sense to you? No. Cause yeah. I'm impervious to it. Like I usually laugh when I see them call me something. I'm like, what do they get out of it? Uh, it's just a tool again to silence us. And cause look, public- It doesn't work. I know public <laughs> figures though, live in fear of like, oh, if my Twitter feed is filled up with people calling me a racist, my bosses will start to say, oh, he's a racist, or oh, black people don't like him. And, and it's a way of running you out of corporate America, and that's why we have to be willing uh, to build our own stuff. Yeah, and again, you have a better audience because you don't do what they want you to do. Yeah. You have a far better audience. But also, just Robert, I have a better work environment. Yeah. I, you know, there's, there's probably five or six Bibles in here. Uh, First thing I noticed when I walked in. <laughs> there, there's signs up that reference Jesus mm -hmm. and all this. I get to actually be myself. You go into some corporate setting with my values and you got to start hiding them. And people will say crazy things that you really disagree with. And you just got to sit there and, yeah, 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 yeah. And just. Will you explain like one of the greatest things we learned from leaving the entertainment industry about friends, like who your real friends are. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we were canceled before cancel culture was a thing and there was even a word for it. We were like, what is happening? Why are parents, you know, canceling birthday parties with our kids who we've raised together and went to mommy and me classes to, you know, our, our daughter was targeted at school by a group of these ironically white liberal uh, kids saying that she was a racist because her daddy uh, believes in a wall and, and border immigration control. So it was what we went through as a family at the time was just awful. But I'm, I'm so grateful looking back now because it, it really was God revealing to us in our life that all of this that we built was just fake. 
and, and was just going to float away because people who pretend to be your friend because you are there to, to uh, represent something to them at that point, like convenience, you know, you're there to play a role in their lives. The second you are who you are and you, you actually walk out your Christian faith, which is what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to be hated. If we're actually living as Christians, the world is not gonna like us. The world is not gonna be our friend. You know, so when you actually walk that walk and you realize those people are not your friends, you, you start living, it's almost like it's true freedom, like to live more authentically and say, okay, these are not our friends. This environment is not where we wanna raise our children. And so, you know, that was one of the reasons that we came to Tennessee was for a better life for our kids. And it's been the best decision we've ever made. Yeah, that is the thing on the other side of it. There are major rewards for actually living your faith. You just have to take that leap. And, and, and even, if it's, even if you think, oh, this is gonna be terrible. Take that leap, mm-hmm. and trust me. When you get to the other side, you'll be like, "Holy cow!" You'll be so thankful. Twenty years ago, you'll be so thankful to know who your real friends are too. Oh yeah. You know, that's probably the most beautiful thing about that journey is finding out. Oh, this group of people are my real friends. The I I, I think I want to play a clip from Rand Paul from uh, the War on Children. Now I want you, Rand Paul, big supporter of you guys, and has had some very interesting things to say about the documentary. Let's play the uh, SOT number five, it's Rand Paul. Some major Pentagon doctors recently came out and they said that they believed that children had the ability to decide which gender they are, that they could change back and forth, and they also were promoting transitioning children. We've also found that they are, in fact, transitioning children. How did this happen within our own military that we've got doctors who are transitioning the children of our service members? I I think it's awful, it's reprehensible, and they should be fired for doing this. I think it's a crime against humanity to do this kind of stuff. Uh, The thing about a child making the consent is, how do you make a consent to remove your sexual organs if you've never used them? I don't even know what this is. A seven-year-old barely knows the difference between a boy. They probably have a vague idea of the difference between boys and girls but they really don't have yet any kind of comprehension of how boys and girls interact sexually. And it's like, oh, you're just gonna give up on that? That's not informed consent. The parents might be able to make informed consent, but I probably wouldn't let the parents consent to that for children because the child has to make the consent. They have to be old enough to know what they're giving up. Um, They also aren't informing them basically of the the urinary tract complications that go on and on and on. It was Rand Paul, one of the few politicians willing to go on camera with you guys, or did you get a lot of cooperation? Uh, we had we had multiple. I mean, I wouldn't quite call some of them cooperative because we did have, you know, say the legislator in Colorado who goes by the name Brianna Titone, who's a, identifying as, as transgender. Um, you know, we did have an interview on the phone that was not very long, <laughs> um, and, and that did not go wonderfully well. We were going to reach out to the first ever trans-identifying uh, state representative in American history, but um, they're unavailable because they're currently charged on child pornography and attempted child rape charges. So um, they, they were not available to interview. So we tried uh, with Brianna. Um, didn't go great. But we also talked with William Lamberth, uh, here, majority leader here in our state legislature in Tennessee, um, who has been a great friend and has helped us to, you know, get rid of child mutilation here in Tennessee, get rid of these drag shows in Tennessee that were sexualized for children. And then also now this fight to send child rapists to, to the ultimate fate of the death penalty if a judge sees fit. The other clip I want to play is Riley Gaines. And Landon, I, I want to get your response to uh, the issues that female athletes are facing. Let's, let's play Riley Gaines. 
We were forced to swim against biological male, Leah Thomas, who is formerly Will Thomas, who swam three years on the men's team at University of Pennsylvania. Of course, then transitioning to the women's category his senior year to where he dominated the women. First of all, we weren't forewarned we would be sharing a locker room. We had no idea. We're in the locker room, I'm changing. I had my back turned, silent. I turn around. A six foot four, 22 year old man disrobing, fully intact with an exposing male genitalia. The only time we became aware that this was the arrangement was when we had to see it with our own eyes. So any man would have had full access to that bathroom, any coach, any parent, any, any pervert who wanted to would have had full reins to be in there and bare minimum, we weren't even told about this. So they most certainly want to normalize this. They want to take away our rights to privacy. So, not that you can speak for all women, Landon, but I, this seems like such a clear-cut issue. Men competing against women and girls in sports, men given access to locker rooms and bathrooms with women. You would think among women there would be 100% agreement like, this is wrong. Why isn't there 100% agreement on that? It's shocking that the feminists are nowhere to be found on this issue and are seemingly championing these men coming into the women's locker rooms or even in some cases adult men around young girls. And the problem with when you, you know, give a mouse a cookie, they ask for a glass of milk, right, that, that old book. But if you see ground on morality and you say it's okay, you know, to partner with a lie and say, well, as long as they feel this way, then they have access to women's spaces, then you are partnering with a much bigger lie, which is that if they identify as a woman, they can now ha be in women's safe spaces, which means there are no more safe spaces for women. Women who are trafficked, women who are abused, those perpetrators or men who are predators can have access to those spaces. Little girls no longer have the right to privacy. They have to stand there and have the mental rape of having to see male genitalia because now that's tolerance. So that's the problem where, where we make, you know, when we see ground with these little lies, we are partnering with a much bigger lie that is very hard to get out of. Um, and we will lose women's rights in America and our safe spaces if we continue to, to allow this to happen. You use the word mental rape, mm -hmm. and I don't think that's inflammatory or too far. Because the reality, as men, we know that women can be uncomfortable in an elevator with a man by themselves. They can be, you know, that can set off a little anxiety. Don't know. So if you can set off some anxiety just being in an elevator with a woman, where now men and women can be naked in the same bathroom, locker room facility, what type of anxiety does that set off in women? It is a form of mental rape. And, it, it, and again, as a man, the number one thing, the greatest compliment a woman could give you is, man, I feel protected and safe around you. I can, yes. Right. That's the number one compliment a woman can give you. And that will make a woman fall in love with you. Even if, right. even if you look like me, trust me, I, I, it's like, Oh no, I'm gonna provide for you, you're gonna feel safe, blah, blah, blah. Right. It, 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 it's the most powerful thing, and we're taking that away from women. Right. This is insanity. Yeah, real men don't make women feel threatened. 
but men who put on a sexualized caricature of women with fake breasts and parade around like we're just pagan lipsticks and high heels, that is a threat to us because we know that person's not right in their mind and what else are they willing to do? We are certainly not gonna take the risk, you know, as women that have you know, conservative biblical minds like my, I do and others are not going to subject our little girls to bathrooms where that's being tolerated. And it's, it's even here in Tennessee, you know, we've, there's been a, a cases that we've exposed in, the, in our state where men are now being allowed into women's locker rooms where th there's families, there's little girls. Man was just caught at the YMCA here in Nashville. Um, he was in the, the locker room, the changing room with the women, and he was caught videotaping them, okay? Only reason he's allowed in the bathroom is because leftists have become tolerant of what should always not be tolerated. And that's, this is perversion. I mean, there's no, there's no, Will Thomas is my size. If Landon and I stand up right now, you won't be able to fit us both in the picture. I'm 6'2", she's five foot, like two maybe in her boots, okay? There's, if I wanted to, to be a predator against women her size, you know, they have a reason to be afraid. I'm much physically stronger. Will Thomas is an athlete. He's not only my size, but an athlete. There is no excuse for, and these women were not warned. Riley had no idea a guy was gonna walk in that day, six foot two, six foot three, naked. And she's a Christian woman who's married. She doesn't wanna see another guy's penis. Can I you know, share, that is mental rape. It is, it is a, it I is share a, a, a thought that I it just popped in my mind, but I think this is actually how a lot of women are feeling. And, and that's that, you know, what scares me more than these, these men dressing up as women, sneaking into our locker rooms and these predators and all that is the lack of strong men willing to protect us and yes. intercede and stand up. That scares me more because I've been in situations where I've looked around. I was at Walgreens just a few weeks ago and I saw an altercation. And I looked around to see what men were gonna stand up. And I'm there with my kids, I feel vulnerable. I, I am here with my little one, I'm looking around and, and things are getting heated, it can escalate, we all know things can happen very quickly. Look around and I see a man put his head down, take his cart, just continue on down the path. See the other man run to the back. It, the lack of masculinity, the lack of protection, strength, that's what makes women feel really deeply insecure, is the fact that there aren't those strong protectors, they're few and far between and we need our men to rise up. And for the record, for husbands, I wasn't there when this happened, but husbands, you have a role in those situations where your wife does feel that way and something does happen. I went back there by myself and I had a conversation with the people at Walgreens, the manager of the store, the guy who was involved in this altercation with another customer, and they got on the phone, they apologized to my wife because a grown man should have never put any customers, let alone women and children, in the position he put them in. Somebody could have been shot over ridiculous stupidity at a Walgreens. And they had no training scenario. They didn't have any idea what to do. And these are the men in the store. I'm like, you guys would let the women who work in your store get in the middle of a physical confrontation between two men? What is wrong with you guys? Who raised you? But you need to be able as a man to go and stand up for the women in your life in those situations, even if you're not there. And you have to be, you have to be the strong one that is not gonna put yourself in a position where your family does not have you either. You have to be reasonable, but you have to show other men how to be men. And that's what I did that day. I sat them down, I walked them through how to handle that situation if it ever happens in the future, what they could have done differently to protect the women and children in their store. and. They, at the end of the day, it ended on a good note. They called, they apologized, they really meant it, and they learned a lot, and they changed the way that they operate in that store.
But the mentality of this country and the mentality of the people, there's so much messaging of, and there's so much, there's, they're being penalized. I'm thinking of Daniel Penny in, in the subway in New York. Yeah. They're trying to send this guy to jail for acting like a man. He's a former Marine. He's been trained. He, he, he spots trouble. No, I think there was a woman involved who called him a hero and all this other stuff. They're trying to put him in jail. And so they're trying to send a message. Now, again, that's New York. We live here in Tennessee. Hopefully it would be different here. But we also live in Nashville. Nashville's kind of woke. Uh, <laughs> and, and so, but, but we're, we're, man's primary role as it relates is protection. And for women and children to feel safe, and they're taking that away from us and having people second guess, like, should I step in here? Because I'll be framed as the bad guy. And, and so I sit here and think that there's a, you know, <clears throat> I'm a pretty strong patriarch, and there are some women that would call me sexist. And they may call me, and, and maybe they're right, maybe I'm sexist. But they would also say, man, if some trouble jumps off, Jason will die so to protect me. And th that makes them tolerate me. It's like, well, at least the guy will die. <laughs> you, you know, there's there's a dialogue around the Daniel Penny thing where where I've seen people say, well, it makes you second guess if you should do the right thing. Here's the truth, though. What happened to him is the reason I don't go to blue states because I am fully aware you cannot train out of me the way that I was born. I, it's it's too ingrained in my system at this age. I know if something happens. I'm not going to be able to be the person that goes, oh, I'm just gonna let somebody be raped or I'm just gonna let somebody be abused. I'm gonna let somebody be killed. It's not in me. It's like, it's ingrained in some men to be protectors of, of the vulnerable people in your life, people who don't have anybody else protecting them. And so for men who have that ingrained in them, don't live in blue states. I mean, really, you can't afford to at this point. You really can't. Here in Tennessee, at least, we know it's a red state. And in Nashville, I, that's why I live just outside of Nashville, because I don't want to have a far left crazy mayor. Um, you know, but you've got, you've got to make those decisions, you know, about where you're going to be so that you can truly be who you are without fearing that you're going to be ripped away from your family. Because Penny could be married, have five kids, you know, have had that same thing happen and be ripped away from his family for just doing the right thing. Guys, uh, thank you so much uh, for making. Did we cut? Did we? Did I? Did I leave anything out? Is there something? No, I think I think guys? I think we got it all. Yeah. I think we got it all. Go to thewaronchildren.com, rent the movie, and watch it there. You know, we're endeavoring. Um, I, I'm just. I'm going to be straight up with people. You renting it is going toward us making more documentaries like that. And when we reach that threshold where we're like, okay, we hit it, we recouped, we're making a next one, we're going to make it free for the world. So, um, because more people need to see, you know, 30 some odd million people have watched the trailer in the last 48 hours. We want to, you know, eventually get to the point where we just put the whole thing out and have, you know, 50 to 100 million people watch the whole thing, you know? All right, well, I'm gonna watch it in full tonight. Uh, thank you guys so much for uh, making the time. Uh, we'll be back with more Fearless, thanks. Welcome back. Oh, wow. Do we have the perfect segue to piggyback off our conversation with uh, Robbie and Landon uh, Starbuck and that conversation we just had about the war on children and about disrespecting women and women in athletics and talking about Riley Gaines. We have the senior senator 
uh, from the state of Alabama, Tommy Tuberbro. Uh, many of you, like me, probably know Tommy more from college football uh, than his political career. Uh, but we're certainly glad uh, Tommy uh, transitioned into politics because uh, we need him on our team. Tommy, I, I heard one of your aides tell you, hey, this guy's uh, very good friends with Tucker Carlson, but I'm actually more famous for growing up with Jeff George and for being uh, a huge Patrick Mahomes fan. So uh, I'm most, you know, I played a tiny bit of college football, but uh, me and quarterbacks have a great, great talented quarterbacks have a great long history. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. It's good to be here. And uh, of course, this is a big week, Super Bowl week. But you know, you come up here to the clown show. There's always there's always action happening. We got a lot going on right now with border and and women and uh, men and women's sports and, and you, you name it. It's it's always something. But it's good to be on to talk a little bit, hopefully, about the Super Bowl and and some of the people I know in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I do want to start kind of light with the fact that you were the head coach at Texas Tech when the recruiting process for Patrick Mahomes started. And so you've known Patrick Mahomes before the rest of us knew Patrick Mahomes. What did you see in Patrick as a high school football player? Well, he played a lot of different positions, I'll tell you that. And he wasn't really recruited by a lot of people. We started the process, and then I re resigned and went to Cincinnati. But the big thing about Patrick is just athlete, you know, is is uh, he came from an athletic family, and uh, you could tell he was a grinder. You know, he was kind of a gym rat because he was always at games. Now, Cliff Kingsbury took over when I left, and he ended up finishing up recruiting and then and then coaching him and did a great job with him. But what an athlete! And and ironically, that same year, you, you normally give out one quarterback scholarship, right? So Patrick basically was going to take that. Well, we got a guy to walk on. Uh, and, uh, you know, he ended up winning the Heisman Trophy at Oklahoma. And you know who I'm talking about. He's, uh, you know, that, that kid was also a good quarterback. But we, we, uh, we were in, involved in him. I, I hate that I didn't get to coach Patrick, but uh, I'm not surprised at, at what he's done over the years. Any other players you're connected with that are involved in this weekend's Super Bowl? No, about to run out. Jason Kelsey had just left Cincinnati when I when I got there. He and his brother, uh, they had been at Cincinnati, and uh, uh, it was uh, back then. Uh, you know, Cincinnati had very good football teams, as they've had few over the years. But uh, I've been out pretty long now. That you don't make it very long, as you well know, keeping up with pro sports. Uh, it's a short lifespan, uh, especially for running backs and even linemen now. It really, but it, I'll say this, and I, I got to bring this up because you've been in coaching for so long, and I know you you've stepped away now for what? I, how how many years has Six, been? Seven years. This name, image, yep. and like seven years. This name, image, and likeness stuff uh, is a powerful force in college athletics, and I don't think it's a good powerful force. I, I think I understand why Nick Saban walked away from college football. I, I, I think these older coaches are going to struggle with this transfer portal and just quite frankly, dealing with young teenage kids who are multimillionaires or 
certainly feel like that, even if they're only making thousands of dollars. What, what do you think of what's happened to college football with just more and more money flooding into it? Well, unfortunately, that's what's come to, Jason, and it all starts with television. There's so much money out there in television given to these universities. And I can remember when I first got in the SEC, I was at Ole Miss, and our cut of the of the revenue for the year might have been eight, ten million dollars. Now, almost every team in the SEC gets close to, you know, fifty million, and so the money is out there. And 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 let me say this: I've always been for players making some money because it's a only time in their life they'll ever have two full-time jobs, academics and athletics, which is very, very hard. They don't have time to go out and get a part-time job to make a little money to go out and take their girlfriend out for a date or whatever, because it is a grind. Now, uh, I am, in fact, it, you know, I don't know whether it would have everything to do with Nick Saban, uh, a good friend of mine, getting out. Uh, I know it had to do something with it because you can't control your own team now. It's uh, there's no control. And we are forgetting about the purpose of college athletics. It's supposed to be about education. And uh, we're getting away from that part. This transfer portal, uh, if you transfer one time, the likelihood of you getting a degree is very, very small because you lose a lot of the hours that you had accumulated when you left that school. So uh, Joe Manchin and I, a Democrat last year, got together and said, let's help the NIL. Let's help the coaches and players and families and get some realization in this. And we, we put together a good bill. Now, it wasn't my bill. It came from the coaches and players and NCAA and presidents, athletic directors. And it was a good bill. The problem is it, it's not ever going to make it to the floor unless I put union in it. Uh, the Democrats want to unionize all the athletes in major college sports. And that's not going to work. We all know that. And so uh, it's going to be the wild, wild west. And it'll continue to be that way for a while, Jason. Uh, again, I'm for... All these players making some money, but when one or two players are making most of the money and some of them aren't making any, there's something wrong with the system. I wish there was some way to tie the money to academic achievement and just flat out because, again, I went to college, wasn't a great student. But I just know attending class is the number one thing. If you just attend class through osmosis, just through that habit, good things are going to happen. The light bulb's gonna go off at some point. And so I just wish there was some kind of academic requirements attached to the money that they make. Uh, because I, let's incentivize them to do the right thing and then let's hold some of the money back and award it to them at graduation. Uh, you know, there, there seems like there would be some responsible ways to share the revenue with them rather than, and, and you know, I was young and I was a kid and I, I remember blowing money on stupid things, but, I, you know, everybody getting a Maserati or a gold chain and all that stuff, they're going to regret that shortly after they graduate college. And, and so as adults, it seems like we could devise a better system to financially reward them in a way that will be a carrot leading them down the proper road. And as you well know, 99% of these kids will never hit a pro sport. They'll never make a dime past college. And you're exactly right. Uh, again, making money, but putting money into a trust fund for them until they get out, uh, saving some of their money. These are 18, 19 year old kids. I've seen some kids on social media driving up to sign up, sign their national letter from high school driving brand new $100,000 Corvettes. I mean, come on, 
I mean, it, it, somebody's got to look out for them, but now you have agents and lawyers and accountants. That's what we tried to keep out of college sports for years. My 40 years being in it, there wasn't a week that didn't go by that I didn't mention something about, hey, I know there's agents around here. Stay away from them. It's against the rules. Uh, but now they're everywhere. Uh, they're on the phone with them. It, it's just, it's out of control. And you, you can talk, and you said older coaches, even the younger coaches, they don't know how to handle it because their lifespan is not going to be long because you can't build a team. Uh, you can sign 25 great players, and by the time they get to their sophomore year, you might have four or five of those left. The rest of them have gone taking more money than another school. And it's just an ongoing process of trying to educate kids and keep kids in school and now making sure that they don't dislike you, uh, that you're paying them enough money. I know one coach told me, he said, listen, I had the first 30 players come into my office this year after the season, and they didn't talk about, hey, we got to have a better season, coach. I need to work on this. I need to work on my, my lateral movement or my backpedaling, find a DB. What they wanted to know was I need more playing time, I need more money. If not, I'm out of here. And that's not what we're supposed to be building in college sports. Yeah, uh, we're doing the young kids a disservice. Uh, we got to figure out a better way to reward them responsibly. Uh, Tommy, I, I wanted to talk about uh, the bill you have proposed, the PASS Act. Uh, that, that piggybacks off a conversation I was just having earlier in the show, uh, unpack the Protection of Women in Olympic and Amateur Sports Act. Yeah, well, can you believe we're even talking about this? I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. <laughs> the first thing I did two years ago, I put out a bill uh, here on the, the try to get it uh, on the floor. It never made the floor. Protect the Women and Girls in Sports Act. Because what this administration is trying to do is they don't want any genders. They want everybody to be the same, which is uh, amazing to me. Uh, but Title IX is, uh, Jason, in my lifetime in sports, it's been the best and most successful law ever made in Washington, D.C. It made it equal for women to have the same number of sports, same number of athletic scholarships, the same amount of coaches, uh, and it brought women's sports to another level. And uh, for some reason, this administration wants to tear it down. They won't, uh, okay, we're going to change it. 51 years of Title IX, and now there's really nobody in this administration that's standing up for it. Even the women senators, I ask them, do you not have a daughter? Do you not have a, a uh, uh, somebody that, that uh, you want as a female to be able to participate in sports? And so that never made the floor. But now we let the Olympic Committee decide that they're going to let uh, each individual sport decide whether they're going to have transgenders play in sports. Uh, just amazing to me. Now, boxing is going to be in the Olympics this year, women's boxing, and biological men will be able to box against women. That won't last till the water gets hot. What? And I get that. I get that Democrats want an androgynous society, but I don't understand how fathers and mothers, anybody with common sense knows the difference between a biological man and a biological woman. We've all seen these horrible tragedies, young girls getting injured, competing against men. It, 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 you would think feminists would be on our side on this issue. I don't fully understand the confusion around this and why this can't be stamped out from our lawmakers overnight. 
Well, you hit the, you hit the button. That's it. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked we even have to talk about this. My phone rings off the wall about my daughter's not playing in sports. And what's going to happen is you're going to take these young kids that are five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. It's going to eliminate them from starting sports. And you know, if you don't start it, you're not ever going to get in it at an older age. Their parents don't want them dressing with young biological boys. They don't want it. And I don't blame them. It, it should be against the law, but they're trying to make this lawful. They really have no stance with this. Uh, it's just something that they want to continue to transition our country in something that it's not. Our moral values are going out the door. Uh, and I can't believe we even waste any time with this. We should be talking about the Super Bowl or the draft or, or some other uh, – some something that's really exciting that really makes a difference. But this is these people absolutely have lost their mind. I, I think, Tommy, it, it's it's like a planned chaos. If there's so much chaos everywhere, then you really don't know what to address and where and they distract you. And so w when I think about what they're doing in sports and creating that chaos and those conversations and those talking points about silly things. We're, many of us are distracted like, hey, we're letting people through our southern border at a pace that's ridiculous and is going to harm every one of us. It's going to impact all of because they're moving these people all around the country. It's going to impact every one of us. And so, hey, you guys go argue about uh, William Thomas, Leah Thomas swimming against Riley Gaines uh, and be distracted from this border we've opened. We're a country without borders. Who, who, who believes in that? I saw a meme the other day that, that really was great. Hell has no borders. Uh, heaven has uh, an immigration policy, a firm one. And <laughs> it explains America. You're exactly right. You can't make it up. Uh, you know, we've been working on a border bill because American people want to be safe. They're paying taxpayer money, uh, almost half of what they make, to send up here to their state government or to federal government. And we are concerned more about Ukraine's borders and everybody else's borders than ours. Uh, so we're up here today voting on uh, a border bill, which it's not going to pass because it's not a border bill. It's a border giveaway. And we're also going to vote on on giving 60 more billion dollars to Ukraine, which by the way, they can't win. They couldn't win in a month of Sundays. It's a junior high team playing an NFL team, but we continue to throw money that way. And we're, we're trying to push this through and we've got McConnell and Schumer, sounds like they're going together. They wanna to get a check and take to Ukraine themselves, fly right over our border to theirs. And if I was American people, I would be outraged if that happens. Uh, of everybody. Uh, I, I can't believe it's happening. I really can't. Uh, again, I'm all for military. I'd be for Ukraine. If, and, you know, we don't want to get anybody else killed. But they have lost tens of thousands of people because we're, our, we're our, their proxy of just pumping money in there. Keep fighting. We're not sending any help for you, but just keep fighting and get killed. And uh, it's not making any difference. Tommy, I'm, I'm I didn't prepare you for this, not that I prepared you for anything, but this is a difficult question, and I, I don't, I, so I just want to warn you and just say if you want to pass, you can pass. But uh, I wanted your thoughts on Tucker Carlson. He's going to release his interview tonight with Vladimir Putin. 
Good thing, bad thing, what do you think? No, uh, 100%. Uh, Joe Biden, if I'd have been president or Trump would have been president or anybody that really cared about our country in the last two years with this war going on, get on a damn plane and go talk to the guy. That's how you work problems out. You don't talk about it in the paper. You don't talk about it in, on the radio. You go see him face to face. Vladimir, what have we got to do to stop killing people? and spending money that we don't need to spend. Let's bring this thing together. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm, I can tell you four or five things already that Putin's going to say. I've been reading about what he's been saying, what he's been doing. I've been knee deep into this since Ukraine invasion. And, uh, you know, he's got a lot of reasons for, for why he went that way. Now, I was in Ukraine about two months before the invasion, talking to Zelensky, me and a couple of other senators, talking to their generals, you know, they're scared to death. They're coming, building up at the border. And they said, if you'll just put some munitions on the border, knowing that we're going back Ukraine, uh, Russia might not come. Well, they, we wouldn't do it. I mean, we knew they were coming. Even Joe Biden said, well, I talked to uh, Putin. He said, we're going to have a small incursion. You know, a million people dead later. Uh, you know, we, we've had a, a big incursion. So I'm anxious to see what uh, the questions Tucker asked. Putin, I think that's a big part, but I trust him in, in his interview because he went loaded. He he got the he got the interview. None of these other uh, bought and paid for journalists up, up here would go. I mean, they need to be out there doing journalism other than printing an opinion. That's what we've become in this country is an opinion. And uh, somebody's got to stand up and get the truth. Now, we might not like what he says or we might be for what he says. And people say, well, we don't trust him or what he says. But I, I just got a feeling the way Tucker interviews people, he's going to be able to get a lot of the truth uh, that maybe uh, Putin didn't want to tell. And I hope he asks him the tough questions. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Finally, uh, Tommy, I, I just want to thank you and, and would love to have you uh, back on the show anytime. Uh, really appreciate the work you're doing. Uh, you know, old football coaches, that wisdom and knowledge uh, is what America needs and is missing. Uh, you know, and heck, <laughs> is there more cheating in Congress or in the SEC? Can I ask you, you coached at Ole Miss. <laughs> well, I've been all over. I've seen everything on both sides. I, I would probably trust college football and, and recruiting more than I would this place. There's so many hands in the pie up here. But before we leave, Jason, I want to know your prediction. I, you hadn't told me yet about Sunday. You know, we're getting close, and I hadn't heard a lot of predictions from anybody. And uh, I know you might not want to do I this. Need, I know you might. No, 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 no. Look, I'm a Chiefs fan. I've worked in Kansas City for 16 years, and, you know, my mother lived in Kansas City for, for the 10 years before that. And so I got my connection to Kansas City goes back to, I believe, 1984. So I'm a Chiefs fan. Having, and I'm a huge Andy Reid and Brett Veach, the general manager. I'm a fan of those guys. Uh, but I think San Francisco is going to win. And, and I, I think that the arrest of Patrick Mahomes' dad last weekend, or what, a third DUI, the guy's probably going to have to go to jail. This reminds me of a couple years ago when they played Tampa Bay, and Andy Reid's son got arrested right before the Super Bowl, and the team was distracted and was off offensively. And so I expect the Chiefs offense to sputter 
and uh, San Francisco to win a, a nail biter, field goal at the end. That that's my prediction. Hoping that I'm yeah. wrong, uh, but I think San Francisco will win a nail biter at the end. I hope it's a great game. So, but if you're putting quarterback versus quarterback, there's no comparison. Purdy might eventually be a great quarterback. We know where we know where uh, Patrick is. He's going to make yeah. a play with, when there when there's not a play there. But my feeling about championship games, no matter what level, is defense and running game. And you give a week's rest, two weeks rest to the defense at at uh, San Francisco. And I know Kansas City's got a good coach and they, they got the same thing. But I'll tell you, if they're healthy, the pass rush, the quarterbacks in the NFL have told me playing in, in the Super Bowl – it's a different game because your timing has to be a lot quicker getting the ball off because the offensive line can't block these these freaks on the other side. I mean, they they can run and they're athletic. And then of course McCaffrey is there a better running back in a tougher situation? I don't think it is. Not they can they can live off him the defense and and I think the running game. I, I think they win twenty eight to twenty something like that. Thank you, Tommy. Appreciate it. Uh, that's Tommy okay. Tuberville, U.S. Senator from Alabama. Great way to close out the week and the show. Uh, We'll play tomorrow, and we'll see you next week. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom No negotiation, my system, no relation We all just wanna have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone I'm breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving, all receiving We all wanna be free We want